Elizabeth, mm-hmm. you and I have been working on this show for what, like a year, year and a half now or something? That's it. Feels like a lot longer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, to me, all that work, all that time, the show, it's been a really rewarding, eye-opening experience. And because of that, I have a little something different planned for today. Hence, all of this Kleenex. Oh, I was afraid to ask. Yes, that's right, Elizabeth. I'm planning on both of us getting very, very emotional today. (laughs) Pass. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Hang with me here. We're doing this because, well, okay. What is my favorite smell? Your favorite, what? It's sentimental. And this is why it feels so much longer than a year or a year and a half. So, so I've been looking back at all of our episodes and I realized something. Each show is a standalone, right? But there's this thread in them. We, we talk to a super interesting human about a belief in their life, what it was like before, what happened to cause that belief, and what life is like now moving forward with it. Each guest, each belief is different, right? But I found that they were all connected under this one common theme. Loss and opportunity are a package deal. So today, Elizabeth, you and I are going to look back at the first year of Safety Third. Are you ready for this thing? Because I am calling this <clears throat> the Safety Third Lightning Round Recap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Aren't you gonna? Aren't you gonna ask how I did that with my voice? Pass. I'm very talented, Elizabeth. That's how. <laughs> Anywho, today we'll be looking back on this fun house of a podcast, and two weeks from now we'll be publishing our final episode of season two. But first. What are our big takeaways from year one of Safety Third? Stay tuned, friends. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. When I think of our first two seasons of Safety Third, a particular quote comes to mind. When one door closes, another opens. And yeah, 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 Elizabeth, I know what you're going to say here, that it sounds like one of those cheesy motivational posters you'd see in an office or something, like a cat clinging onto a tree with the caption, hang in there, or something like that. So just ha, 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 get your jokes out now, please. (laughs) Well, actually, Patty, Mm -hmm. what I was going to say is I can see where you're going with this, especially if you consider the entire quotation. So I remembered it was longer, and I just looked it up really quickly, and here it is. The full saying came from Alexander Graham Bell, and it is, When one door closes, another door opens, but we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which open for us. I really love that, you know? I Well, I don't love you Googling while I was talking, <laughs> but what I love about the full quote is, Mistakes. Misstep, struggle, tragedy. In the moment, these things seem so chaotic, so consuming, right? So much so that we can't see life past that particular moment. When life gets like that for me, it's like I can't see past my flipping mustache. But mm-hmm. what I've found and what our guests have found is that the hard points of life 
can very often lead to the best parts. Okay, so now for <clears throat> the lightning round. Shotgun on the first question. It's a very serious one, Elizabeth. So brace yourself. How do you do life as such a wee baby human? <laughs> oh, you're right. I, we need that Kleenex because this episode does make me want to cry. Um, I'm not even that small, dude. I'm 5'3". Just next to you, you make me look itty-bitty. I mean, okay. like, what what kind of question is that? Why are you so tall? Because I'm the love child of very large Irish people and Zeus, and I stole my mustache uh-huh. off of Tom Selleck's nightstand. <laughs> Honestly, though, everyone in my family is huge and loud and pretty funny uh, and loud, uh, but also tall and very, very loud. <laughs> so okay. question number two, what... Seinfeld character are you? No, 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 no. You first. Crelane. Did you did you say Crelane? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Well, I think I'm a combination of Kramer and Elaine. You know, like uh Kramer's weird and uh kinda all over the place, so I am definitely checking the box there. And Elaine is uh well, let's say quirky and loud. So Check and check. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think I would be George because we can both be neurotic. Um, okay, but this is going poorly. I'm coming up with question three. Okay. What's been a big takeaway for you from our first two seasons? I would say getting into the current of life, you know, like being an active participant rather than a prisoner of circumstance is just about the best gift that you could give yourself. You know, to me, like a lot of our guests face these really difficult situations that they needed to work their way out of. You know, for example, there was Karima Batts who voluntarily amputated her leg as part of her cancer treatment. You've literally lost a part of yourself. A lot of people go through a feeling of like, not everybody, but a lot of people go through this changing of like, who am I, right? What am I? What do I do now? What's, you know, you're going through a self-identification change, too. And there was Eric Weinmayer who kayaked the frickin' Grand Canyon after going blind. Eric said that he needed to be okay with working through the process of learning to kayak without sight. And yeah, that means getting your butt kicked. That means having loss and pain and all the stuff that life, you know, creates for you. But it also gives you this moment after moment after moment to create alchemy in your lives that'll, you know, not to get too cheesy, but that does change the world, that does elevate the world around you. And remember when we talked to Hannah Maya? Hannah was struggling to accept her body after a brutal personal tragedy. And she learned to channel that grief into something else. Being outside is, is, what, is what helps me rebalance my life. You can silence that negative voice, that internal negative voice. It takes some work, but it can be done. Here's the thing. All all this makes me wonder, Elizabeth, what's a difficult situation that you had to work through? You know, did any of our guests speak to some part of your life experience? Well, when I was in my mid-20s, I felt stuck. Mm. So I had dead-end job after dead-end job very little money. I felt like a sitcom or like worse, a rom-com character watching (laughs) her peers pass her by. You know what? You know what I'm talking about. On top of that, my father was very ill. We were spending what would turn out to be his last years together. And a big thing happened in that time together, actually. We 
did a lot of listening to podcasts mm. and I realized I wanted to start over in audio production. Mm -hmm. it, I just thought it was such a powerful way of telling stories. But I was nervous because I didn't have any formal training and I worried that if I failed, people would be like, oh, okay, Elizabeth, another career path that didn't work out mm -hmm. because I had tried jobs in more than one field by then. So if we're relating our experiences to our interviewees, I think my hesitation definitely sounds similar to Stacey Bear's experience learning to climb. And I also wanted to save face, right? I didn't want to look like an asshole. You, you need to learn to distinguish between failing and falling. And, um, and I think that can be a challenge. So what changed? Because you're in radio now. So after my father passed away, I did switch careers. I think his illness and passing helped push me into taking the leap because I realized life probably has a lot more unhappiness in store for me that I can't yet see. And I don't want to be sad all the way through. It's interesting for me to think about how my goals for my career have changed, actually. I initially wanted to report stories, but... But now you've found me and you've realized your life and career are complete? Yes. No, not at all. <laughs> um, I've I would, refined uh... that goal a little more. W okay, what is it? So remember Bam Mendiola from season two? Oh, I love Bam. P.S., just a reminder... Bam is a mountaineer and an advocate for marginalized groups. Right. And there was this thing Bam said about paving the way for others. We're all spending time in nature, but the narrative is very exclusive and it's informed by privilege. It's informed by money. It's informed by access to resources. And I believe now it's my job as an emerging elder to create space for the next generation of leaders. I feel similarly about my work in radio. Mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of the fact that I am in a position to help tell the stories of people who don't have a platform. And I hope I can do some of that in my career. Coming up next, Elizabeth and I jump deeper into the deep end of life together. I'm actually just gonna push you in and walk away. That might happen too. Stay tuned, friends. So, Patty, yes. I told you about a door opening slash door closing situation from my life. Mm -hmm. So now it's your turn. I'd have to say that the definitive, you know, flag in the ground moment in my life was, I mean, it's got to be my addictive alcoholic bottom that led to rehab. Mm -hmm. So in the spring of 2013, after a year, year and a half of my life destructing faster than I could lower my standards, I was speeding my way towards an explosion. Uh, and it happened publicly. Uh, it was painful and it was hurtful and it was, um, I mean, it was just brutal. Mm. You know, it was, it was finally clear that I had a real 
and a really serious problem. I was kind of like the last person to find out that I was a drug addict and alcoholic, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now with that knowledge, there was nowhere to run and there was nowhere to hide. I ended up back in Chicago in an intervention with my family. I said yes to going to rehab in Minnesota, but I was terrified. When I was on the phone with the treatment center doing intake, I told the guy, I was like, okay, but I'm party patty, man. Like, that's what they call me. That's my identity. And he goes, dude, the party is over. It's been over. (laughs) I was, but I was totally lost. At that moment, I just, I had no concept or grasp on how I would get through life. and, And I had no idea who I was. So my dad and I flew to the Twin Cities. And when I got off the plane and I realized that this thing is actually happening, I'm really going to rehab. Elizabeth, I couldn't walk. I almost fell over. You know, I started hyperventilating and weeping. And I'm not talking about like crying really hard, like seriously weeping. Mm. I, I just couldn't handle it. And I had to lean up against this wall in the airport just to keep myself from falling over. And my dad put his hand on my shoulder and he told me I was going to be okay. But I was frozen. I was so scared. When the door to that addictive life, which was the only life that I knew at the time, and it was completely my entire identity, when that closed on me, I literally clung to the wall. You know, I saw no other way, no other option. You know, I kind of felt the way that that Chris McNamara did when he walked away from base jumping. There was a huge fear that once I gave up base, there wouldn't be something nearly as cool to replace it. Unfortunately, I didn't yet have any of the foresight that Chris did when it came to seeing life on the other side of a big change. I knew that you could give up something and that as long as you kind of stayed true to kind of your principles and kind of your your life's trajectory, if you gave it their space out there, something would fill it that could maybe even be cooler. So when did you see that door open or or how? Uh, slowly and, you know, incrementally. You know, there was this moment in the sober house I, I moved into after rehab when I realized, you know, I'd just been okay for like a week. That was huge for me. Uh, you know, McKenna Peterson and I talked a little bit about that. You know, she doesn't have alcoholism or addiction, but she was struggling with loss. And then she had a similar small but huge moment in the wheelhouse of her fishing boat. I just, I realized I was content. For the first time in a long time, I was exactly where I was. And it was, yeah, all going to be okay. That was a good feeling. I'm still hanging on to that. And my wheelhouse moment led me to jump into the work of recovery at around... 90 days sober or something. I'd just gotten back from this trip to my family's cabin in Wisconsin. I saw my folks and my siblings and some other family members that, you know, I hadn't seen since my intervention. And I got all charged up to get healthy, to to build a life. And slowly but surely, I started to accumulate, you know, like little bits of hope and then some action and then a little bit of self-esteem and then some more action, you know, to think react and act differently. And and things got better. They did. Mm-hmm. But it was because I showed up to life differently. And magically, surprise, surprise, life got better. 
You know, it's like when Carl Richards was talking about, you know, tiny things being an investment that ladder up to big changes. It's it's an investment. You go in one side, you invest time and energy and maybe even a little bit of money into it. And out of the other side comes a better version of you. Now, those things aren't always like heroic or like, oh, uh, they're often they're incremental, like they're just little subtle changes. But it's a better version of you. You know, I still work at recovery every day. It's always going to be work, I think, but in like a great way, in the best way possible. And when I went to rehab, though, when I started out in recovery, it was the lowest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you know, no one ever shows up and goes into rehab like, yeah, you know, uh, things are really great. I just like needed a little me time. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I was I was suicidal. I was depressed and I couldn't not drink or do drugs. And I didn't see how my life could ever recover from that. But I think that that is really a great place to start. I was desperate for change. And I owe my happiness, my career, my relationships, the fact that I'm an active participant in life today, everything in my life I owe to that door being slammed shut in my face. So, E, mm -hmm. speaking of doors, what door do you hope will open up in your life next? Well, for the show, I hope we keep finding interesting people to interview. Preach. It's been surprisingly hard to find people who want to talk to us about, like, belief that has shaped their life. So, yeah. um, PSA to our listeners, please send interesting, ready-to-talk people our way. <laughs> As for my life, mm -hmm. I'm going to keep it simple. Cool. I want to find a passion project, something to occupy a lot of my time and whatever creativity I feel like I can pull together. I want it to just be for me, though, like not beholden to, you know, other obligations. I haven't felt that stress-free sort of excitement in a while, so... I'm hoping something will spark soon. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty open to entertaining whatever comes my way at this point. So a lot of flexibility there. That's cool. What about you? For me personally, I would love to completely shed frivolous emotion and speculative imagination. You know, what, what I mean is, is live more where my feet actually are. Mm -hmm. So shocker, I'm sure, Elizabeth, you'll be surprised to hear that I spend a lot of time in my head, in my cabeza. <laughs> so I think that, you know, what I'm thinking about are like things, how things could have been better in the past or how things should have been or how things should be in the future or what is not happening right now. And that leads me to miss out on what is actually happening right now. And uh, the whole mindfulness gratitude thing is a little played out, I know. And I'm, you know, probably at risk of looking like some overpriced mug from Etsy or something right now, <laughs> the hashtag blast. So, but the point is that I think there's a lot of power in me asking myself, okay, dude, what is actually happening right now? Where are your goddamn feet, O'Connell? The, the peaks of joy are great, obviously. And the valleys of sadness are obviously super crappy. But the sweet spot of contentment is where I need to aim. 
Well, that trip down memory lane was fun, don't you think, Elizabeth? I think so. <laughs> I am really looking forward to season three. We have the greatest community. That's you guys, the listeners. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being such awesome humans. And, Elizabeth, to launch us into the stratosphere that will surely be season three of Safety Third, let's close with us both taking time and, you know, a little precious moment to offer one another a huge amount of appreciation. Well, dear Elizabeth, my work here is done. I love you. Oh, I think that you are so talented and so smart. And you make me a better person. Wait, come back here. Don't leave. Don't I'm run from your emotions, paid Elizabeth. I'm not team building activities. Oh my God, she left. Okay, fine. If she won't, then I will. Okay, here it goes. <clears throat> Dear Patty, hey man, sup? I think you're pretty neat. Oh, is that a mustache? It's real, real nice. It is gentlemanly and artistic. listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was, well, a bunch of our guests from the first two seasons. To learn more about what we and they are doing, check us out on the social Medea. Our Instagram is Safety Third underscore podcast, and we're on the interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. If you like today's show, will you go right ahead and tell everyone in your circle about it? Safety Third is like poaching a hot tub during a ski trip. It's fun because it's dangerous. Also, the more the merrier. So, tell your friends and fam about the show. Tell that weird guy at work. Tell your neighbor's pet squirrel. Tell them all. Don't be shy, friends. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Alex Park edited this episode. Music by my incredibly and strangely perfumed brother, Brendan. I will steal your toiletries, O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Millerberg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. <laughs>